0: You're my joy, you're my all. I got to tell you, I I feel uh, so sad for people who've not experienced what it means to know Jesus Christ. To know God, to be in a relationship with Him. I, I I feel so sad for people whose whole experience is something about religious rituals that they go through. And, and they've never tapped in. It, it's drudgery, it's obligation, it's joyless, it's colorless. It, 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 it's that kind of faith existence. Because when you have known Him, everything changes for you. And one of the great, great attributes of our faith, it's a faith of joy. It's a faith uh, 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 that's grounded in joy. In, uh, in Philippians 3 and verse 1, uh, the Apostle Paul says this, um, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice! Our faith is a faith of, of rejoicing. God wants you to be uh, joyful. Westminster Shorter Catechism, when it asks what's the chief end of man, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To enjoy Him. To glorify God and enjoy Him. To have the joy of God to ha- in your life. And Jesus wants you... To be joyful. His aim, as he taught, was to bring joy. And in John 15, 11, it says, I've told you this so that you may have my joy in you and your joy may be complete. I'm teaching you this stuff because I want you to have joy in your life. In John thirteen seventy, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed, you'll be happy, you'll be joyful. If you do them, he wants us to, be, to have joy in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, joy. In 2 Corinthians uh, one twenty four, the Apostle Paul says, we're working for, w- with you for your joy. It's about joy. And Paul, even in the midst of his trials, could gush with joy and gratitude to God. So I feel, I feel so sad and so sorry for people who um, in, in their life have a joyless sense that 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 God is joyless and mean-spirited and demanding and and just wants to make life miserable for us and nothing could be further from the truth he wants us to experience great joy I've come Jesus said that you might have life life abundant and uh what a great thing! So, thank you for uh, music team for sharing with us and giving us a means of expressing that to God in this day. Um, July, or excuse me, June seventh, just a couple weeks ago, June seventh, twenty eighteen. Um, I-, I thought about a major event that happened in China. Now i i was at our I was at our life group, and I gave the Chinese word for this, and nobody knew what I was talking about. And they said, well, I think they need some context. Um, and, and so, what I want to say to you is something important that just happened a couple weeks ago, was gaokao. Anybody, who put up your hand if you know what gaokao is. Okay. Thank you. How was my pronunciation? Was it okay? Okay, thank you. See, I, I think it wasn't me. It was, it was them. I know it couldn't have been me. Um, Gaokao. What Gaokao is, it's an entrance exam that all the secondary students take. And it, it determines where you get placed in, uh, in schooling. So the opportunities you have, it's a huge thing. In fact, 9.7 million students Are all taking it on the same day? Uh, This entrance exam, okay? And they go in, and I mean, there's security there to make sure they're not taking anything in with them. And you see this this gal getting uh, checked out, and it's a three day process. Um, And you've got all these students there millions of them, millions of them. And when I talk to some people in our life group, they said, you don't understand how important this is. This is like, it kind of, you, it sets you up for success or failure in life. And there's so much pressure on this. Um, the parents... They're they're you know uh, they're so into this and so concerned about it and doing everything they can to help and to push the the kids. They pay exorbitant so, sums of money to have tutors and prepare them for this kind of thing. And they're all waiting for this three day thing to be over so they can um, get their kids and, and see the results of it. But with when there's this kind of pressure, what happens also is that um, you know you you kind of cheat a little bit so the one thing there's an eraser but in 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 the eraser is it's got a transmitter so you can actually cheat with some of these things um uh, here's somebody see those glasses you see on the inside of the glass and see the little medallion it has stuff in it to help them cheat to hear to get answers to to access things i i found out that they they even do stuff like this and i and, and i know somebody who's uh, who's here in ontario in in uh, In receiving uh, students and and approving students for for school and and uh, she was telling me the kind of things that she runs into uh, sometimes they 'll have another person do their test, so they'll they'll pay them and they go in as fraudulent and, and to get a better result uh, sometimes they uh, you know parents will call in pretending they're the kid. Or Ted Blank, Well, you've got, to, you've got to let my child in because it was really my fault. I didn't push them enough. It's incredible. But, but it, 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 scores, it underscores how important some of these things are when it comes to future. And it's so competitive. Um, and the thing that I thought about when I was thinking about this event that just happened in China and what happens here in different universities um, is this. There's another entrance exam that every one of us will be asked to take One uh, at some point. We will stand before God and he will ask us the question. On what grounds, on what basis should I allow you into my heaven? On what grounds should I accept you? What is the entrance exam to get into heaven, in other words? Oh, and how do I have eternal life. How do I have joy forevermore? The kind of thing. How do I have forgiveness and acceptance with God? And and I suppose that if there's a God and you believe there's a God and and if he, we will stand before him and give account to him for how we lived our life and what we've done and, and 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 be adjudicated on our our merits in that way. Then how do you pass that entrance exam? If if all we do in this life will affect our eternal uh, destiny. Now I can't think of a more important question that we would probe than this. What does it take to pass the entrance exam, God's entrance exam? Well, the apostle Paul was really concerned with this. And in Philippians, um, he this group that he loved, this church that he loved, I told you last week, I think, I think it, it may have been his very favorite church. You know, it's like kids, you, you're not supposed to have a favorite kid, right? But I think Philippians was a very special church to the Apostle Paul, and he speaks so warmly to them and, and what they mean to him. And, and uh, But here, all of a sudden, um, we have Paul's stern warning against self-confidence, Paul, who's in prison, yet joyful and rejoicing in God, is cheery and upbeat, but here, he's, um, he's got a little bit of an edge to him, and he's, he's, um, uh, he's going to tell them what it is. He wants to safeguard them. He wants to protect them, and so in, uh, in Philippians 3, verses 1 to 4, we have this. Paul says, it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you then he says, he, he gets very unpolitically or politically incorrect. How's that? Or incorrect. And, and, and he, he says this, uh, I want to safeguard you. I want to protect you. As your father in the faith, I, I look out for you. But he says, you need to watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Um, He's, he's calling these, uh, these people out. These were people who were um, false teachers that had tried to influence and, and, uh, uh, the, the people uh, in that church. And he, he, in fact, he calls them dogs. Now, this isn't like a cute little lap dog. These are like the stray dogs that run around towns and forage for food and can be nasty and angry. And and uh, for Jewish people, those dogs were uh, like they were dirty. They were unclean. They were something that you wouldn't have anything to do with. He calls them dogs. You dogs, you you evildoers, you mutilators of the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about circumcision. He's talking about a group that have said basically you know, it's okay to have Christ. But you need more than Christ if you're going to pass the entrance exam. You need to have Christ plus you need to obey Jewish law. And one of those things was circumcision. And, and uh, he, he calls them mutilators of the flesh. For it's we, Paul says, who are the circumcision. We're, we're the true people of God. We serve God by his spirit. Uh, and we boast in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Paul turns from cheery to indignant and uncomplimentary, and when he's protecting them, he'll spare nothing. And and he says, watch out. Watch out. Don't get caught up in this mess uh, and and miss out what God uh, wants for you. And, And circumcision was a Jewish uh, right, it was given by God in Genesis 17 at the time of Abraham when God made a promise and then a covenant with Abraham and that covenant would seal and there would be a sign of that, that covenant uh, and it would be in the flesh. And so uh, little baby boys would be circumcised um, as per the law and that would speak about their inclusion and their identity as God's, uh, God's covenant people. Um, but when Jesus came, the ceremonial law, all the things that they had to do, all the uh, all the sacrifices and all the dietary laws and all those things were no longer in force. Christ Himself uh, was the fulfillment of what the law was, and the law was it was something that was that, that happened. Uh, to point forward to Christ. And Christ would fulfill that. When he gave his life as a sacrifice, there was no longer any need for any more of those sacrifices. And God would move away from just the uh, the Israelite people as the people of God and extend that to the Gentiles around the world. And so the, uh, there were some Jews, though, said, you know, we believe Jesus is our Messiah. But you still have to become Jewish. You still have to obey Jewish law. And, and Paul was so against that, even as a Jew. He was, he was fighting it. Uh, they said, you want to be accepted with God? The entrance exam includes circumcision and all of what it means to be a Jew. And Paul says in impolite terms, you're wrong. Folks, you know what? We, we live in an environment that, um, where you can't say something is wrong. Or a person's view is wrong. We've got to be charitable to everybody and say, and, and here's what at least we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be so tolerant and say that you have a belief that's divergent from mine, absolutely divergent, but yours is good and it's right for you. And Paul never went for that. And God never went for that. God said, here's how it is. There's truth and there's error. And he needs to protect that church from this kind of error that is creeping in. Um, it's interesting too because when you look at what the Old Testament has to say about circumcision it's not like you well you're okay if you're circumcised you know that's that's cool you you've done this ritual in Deuteronomy 10 six, uh, and 16 God says through Moses you need to circumcise your hearts this isn't about an outward thing this is an inward thing it's not just about an outward ritual in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6 it says, the Lord will circumcise your hearts so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live he said you know what you can't even love God the way you want if he doesn't do it he needs to circumcise your heart he needs to change you from the inside if you're going to be able to do that and and that's what God wants to do and so Paul says you know we're the ones who worship by the spirit we glory in Christ Jesus we boast in Christ and what he's done Uh, we put no confidence in the flesh What he's saying is, we don't put confidence in in circumcision or human effort or ritual. That's not the way you get into God's family. That's not the way we're invited in. But Paul could relate to people who thought they were were okay because of what they did. You see, Paul came from that background entirely. He could relate to those people. uh, The observance of outer rituals and law-keeping, and and, uh, he felt at one point, that he could get a pass, that he could get invited um, as his entrance exam uh, before God and get into heaven, if he was doing that. He had this kind of self-confidence, and uh, we want to look at Paul's self-effort, Paul's self-effort in terms of as he looks back in his life. Um, and, And so he begins to review some things in his life that he... That he said, if you want to brag about this stuff, I can brag. And uh, here's his bragging in uh, verses uh, 4 to 6. Paul says, if someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, um, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day as per what the law said. There were things that he would say that were out of his control, and there were things that in his control, and his parents, so he, he, was, he had parents of, of Jewish faith, and they did for him what any good parent would do, um, they circumcised him on the eighth day, he said, I'm of the people of Israel, I'm part of the covenant people of God, uh, and, and beyond that, he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, and Benj- the tribe of Benjamin was the one tribe that, that uh, stayed loyal to Judah. And, and when the ten tribes separated, they stayed with Judah. Uh, not only that, it was the tribe that the first king came from. It was a notable tribe. That's, I can trace my lineage, he says, back to the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm, you know, and, and that's just a way of saying, like, I kicked it up beyond what everybody else did. I was so, ser- so serious about my, my faith. Um, in regard to the law... In the Old Testament, he said, "I'm a Pharisee." He would have great, great tracts of the whole New Testament um, memorized. He 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 understood it. He knew it. He imbibed it. He was a part of the Pharisees, which was a, a political um, uh, political slash religious. Uh, group of people, a party that he belonged to. He, he had the some of the greatest teachers. He had Gamaliel as a teacher. He was schooled and, and, uh, di- and discipled under this great uh, Jewish teacher. And as uh, in terms of being a Pharisee, he kept the law just to the nth degree. I mean, these guys were so... Um, careful and cautious, that when God said, you need to give a tenth of what you have to me, um, he would go and, and, and uh, he'd look outside his door, and he had a little pot with some herbs in it, and he would pick off ten, piece, ten little leaves of basil, and, and he would give one that would be dedicated to God, and he could use, I mean, he was that kind uh, of guy. He, he, he just looked um, with with such minutiae at what God was asking and and doing it and fulfilling it, and in terms of zeal, he was so committed to his faith that he thought this this uh, christian group these these Christians that came out of Judaism, declaring that this guy who was crucified was actually the messiah he couldn't he couldn 't abide that he couldn 't stand that, and so his whole goal was to eradicate the earth of these people that were we're uh, destroying the, the, the uh, Jewish faith and, and not representing it. Um, and, and so he looked at his life, and he felt like, I'm doing God this good favor. I'm doing all of this for God. You want to brag? I can brag more than you can brag on what I have done and what I've con- accomplished. Um, and, and here he is. As, as for righteousness of the law, I am faultless. I don't think he's saying I've never ever done anything wrong in my life. But he says, I live my life to be faultless before God. I try to do right. He did with all his might, tried to do right. But he was trusting his own, uh, his own efforts. And uh, he was thinking that will score him an entrance uh, mark into God's family, into heaven, if you will. You know what? Most of us are prone to be thinking that way. If I'm going to make it with God, uh, I need to pass the exam. What is the exam? What's it based on? What do I have to do? It's interesting that almost everything we do, we do on the basis of earning it. Like, there's no free lunch. You don't, you don't get anything for nothing. So how do I have to do that? And, and it, it fits in with our own pride, what we want to do and, and how we think we can get ahead. Um, we like achievements. We like honors. And so did Paul. Paul. And uh, if he could take you into his home, he would show you all of his degrees and all of his accomplishments, and he would speak about all the things he'd done and how he was uh, exalted and and appreciated and and, uh, revered by so many people. And uh, we can do that kind of thing as well. Like Paul, perhaps we look at our heritage. If you're like me, I had Christian parents uh, who loved me who when I was a week or so old, I was in church. I've been in church my whole life. Um, I'm born into a Christian family. I'm a Christian. I'm not a, bo- I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Hindu. I- I'm not a-, a Muslim. I'm not an atheist. I'm a Christian by name. If, if I fill out on the census form, uh, what's your religion? I put Christian. Is that good enough? Does that get me in? Um, born into a Christian family, um, baptized or christened or dedicated. Now, I, you know, you say, I, well, I, w- I went to catechism. I learned the faith. Um, I, I took First Communion. I've stayed in the church. I attend regularly. I give money uh, generously to the church. I serve. I help out at the church. I I serve in the community. I I try to live by the golden rule uh, to do to others what I would have them do to me. I I try to live an honest life. I'm hardworking. I'm careful. I I care for others. And frankly, when I look at myself, I live a better life than most people that I've seen around me. Are these things going to get me in? Will this open the door? Will that give me enough marks to enter into heaven. Uh, And and maybe I try harder than other people. It's interesting, you know, when we start and compare, we often compare down, don't we? Well, I'm better than that person. I'm better than those person. I'm not as hypocritical as this group. And and if we do all of these things, um, if I put more effort in, God should recognize that if if you will, as how some of us look at it is like our, our life is weighed in a scale. And um, we look at people who, maybe their bad outweighs their good. They're not going to make it. And then there are other people who, the good outweighs the bad. And we say, well, that's the kind of person that we get in. Because we all, you know, let's face it, we all do things that aren't right from time to time. But as as long as you're, your good outweighs the bad as long as you 're trying hard that 's what counts or or so many believe today in universalism, and that is that everybody has a pass to heaven really could could that be a good God who would take people who who have murdered and raped and stolen and hurt people and were were unrepentant and did that for their whole life and they died, do they enjoy all of what God has for, you know, uh, you say, well, that that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound fair. No, it's not. And yet there are people that believe that. That we're all going to the same place and it doesn't matter what you've done or how you've lived. What are you counting on to get in? It was interesting. I I saw on TV... uh, A few weeks ago, a guy who had lived a a bad life of crime and he'd paid his time in prison and he got out and they were interviewing him and and I I was just so struck by what he said. You know, he said, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, but I want to go to heaven and I'm going to do everything I can to do good things. Hey, how how much good do you have to do to outweigh the bad? What do you have to do to have God say it's enough? Do you know when it's enough? Do you even know when you sin and sin? Are you even aware of all the sin in your life? Um, how, do you, how do you undo the wrongs that you've done? You've hurt people and there are people that you've hurt and to this day you've hurt them. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you know if you've done enough? How do you evaluate yourself? Well, if you were like Paul, Paul said, I, I, used to, I used to think that I had done enough in all that I had done. And um, Paul, though, needs to reorient his values. He had an experience. Let me tell you about the experience. He was heading on a road to Damascus, to go to Damascus and find people who had converted to Christianity so that he could imprison them. His whole goal, what he wanted to do was, was kill people. And, and so here he is on his way. And, uh, and, and Jesus said, uh, Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up as a bright light that blinded him. Knocked him off his horse. He's groping on the, on the ground. And he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And uh, he says, who are you, Lord? Lord? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And uh, he found out that he was neither that good or that powerful. And and maybe he didn't have the key. And and, and, What do you want me to do? He had to abandon everything that he had counted on. He had had, had to reorient all of his values helplessly, helpless on the ground. I'm Jesus. You need to know me. You need to know something about me. In an instant, he understood that he was in over his head, that he couldn't talk his way out of this, that he couldn't save himself. He was hopelessly lost in spite of all of his achievements and everything that he had done. There was nothing he could do but grope in the dust. In, uh, in verses 7 to 9, the Apostle Paul says to me, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, I, what, what I would do is, is, I, is I would put up a, a list of all the great things that I've done and how I followed God. And he says, I, I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of my achievement and how I did it myself and, and how I got it. And, but he says, I, you know, I, I had to reevaluate. That everything that I considered gain, everything that I consider was to my good, he said, I have to consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, I, I had to move it, uh, move columns on, when I was doing my accounting. That, that, that I, I didn't really have it right. What I thought was gain was a loss. Um, he, he goes on to say, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost everything, all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He said this, I knew I was in over my head. Um, I I looked at all my achievements and they couldn't do a thing for me. I I wanted to stand up and, and, and be able to say, look what I've done and what I've accomplished. But in the presence of Jesus with all of his purity and all of his holiness and and his power, I felt so dirty and so incompetent and so unworthy. And he has a flash of insight. I have nothing, I have no leg to stand on before this guy. And, And to understand that there are broadly two ways that we look to find acceptance with God. One way is that it's on the basis of what I do and what I earn and, and, and uh, how, I, how I conduct myself. It's my effort. It's what I do. And the other is I've got to trust in what Jesus has done in his accomplishments. And it's not like God's standard of perfection. Perfection. Because God demands absolute perfection. And now I begin to think of my thought life, that how my thoughts are not good or right. Or or I start and think about my selfish attitudes and jealousy and arrogance and rebellion against what God wants me to do and things when I want to put my assert my will over God. And we've all fallen short. We've all done these things, every one of us, the very best of us is so far from what Jesus Christ is, and when Paul looked at the evidence and sought approval on the basis of what he did, he recognized he'd missed it so badly. What he considered profit was really a deficit. What he was so proud of, he now considers manure. That's really what the word means. Everything that I, all these things that I held up say saying, look at me, aren't I wonderful? Look at all my compliments. And and he says, you know what? It's manure. It's worth nothing. It's worthless. The only thing that counts is Christ. And to know him and to have a relationship with him and to hope in him, in his righteousness, in his perfection, and that's what Jesus came to do. He came to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He, he came to die and take the penalty for our sin. He lived. He came as a human being. He lived an absolutely perfect life in every way, in, in his thought life, in his attitude, in his actions. Everything, everything he did, fully comported with what God wanted him to do. And he says, "I needed." Jesus' righteousness, I, I, I'm not righteous. The thing that will God expects of us, what he demands of us is righteousness, and righteousness is what we don't have. So my efforts have failed me, and Jesus' righteousness is my only hope. And he says, through faith, through faith in Christ, that's what we're supposed to do. We're to put our faith in what Jesus did, Not in our accomplishments. And and it breaks down this way. It's my effort or it's Jesus' effort. In my effort, you know the Old Testament says, um, in Isaiah 64, it it says that our righteousnesses are like filthy rags before God. Can you imagine taking these dirty, pus-filled rags uh, and, and presenting them and saying, Hey, accept me. Here's what I have to present to you. It's, It's abhorrent. It's blasphemous. There's no other way. Bill Hybels put it this way. You can reduce the gospel to this. It's do or done. It's either what you have to do to gain entrance, or it's what God has done in Christ Jesus for you and the uh, the psalmist the the songwriter would say, "Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. I have nothing to earn and, and to merit my acceptance. All I can do is come to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, and was raised again, and to put my trust in him, that he would take the penalty for my sin, that he would forgive me, that he would grant me access to him. Well, Paul is committed. To spiritual growth. Paul is not just happy to slip in. Paul wants to grow. Uh, He said, I want to, in the scripture, he says here, I want to know Christ. Hey, whoa, 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 Paul, hold on a second. You want to know Christ? You've been a believer for about 30 years, Paul. What do you mean I want to know Christ? I want to go deeper with Christ. I want to know him more intimately. I want to follow him more closely. He goes on, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection uh, that would purify me, that would help me to walk in a way and live in a way that he wants me to live. He said, I want to become like him in terms of participating in his sufferings. And become like him in his death. I want, I want his resurrection power that, w- that could raise him from the dead. That is operational in my life. That I could face all kinds of persecution and difficulty and trial. And I would be faithful to him. And I would love him and serve him. Because he alone is worthy. That's what he's talking about. And becoming like him. And so how attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained, he says. But he said he goes on to say, all this, or, or I've already I haven't already arrived at my goal. The Apostle Paul said, I, I'm not there yet. I'm still in process. I expect to grow. And, and he said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do forgetting what is behind. And straining toward what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to be with him. And I know I've got assurance that I will be with him. I'll have access to him. I want to go deeper. I want to know him more. I want to live more faithfully for him. I want to stand up for him. I haven't arrived, but I'm there. Folks, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message that we proclaim. This is the hope for the world. It comes not in what we do, but in what Jesus has done for us. And the Apostle Paul says, you know what? The greatest joy is this. To know him. To know him. To have that security and that understanding that I don't have to make it on my own. That he has done for me what I could never do for myself. I want you to think if, if, if you were being flown across the North Atlantic in, in uh, a nasty time of year. And somebody dropped you in the very middle. And, and you had to save yourself. You'd have to go either east or west uh, to get to Europe or, or, or get to Canada. And, and uh, you would say, well, it would be hopeless Those thousands of kilometers in that frigid water. There's no way you could make it. You're right. There's no way you could make it. And people who try to save themselves can't do it. Something from outside of us needs to save us. Well, what's our response to all of this? The first thing I would say, if you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ and Jesus alone to save you, that's a starting place. Uh, You say, you know, I've been trying to to do the entrance exam by virtue of all the good things that I'm trying to do and I'm working. You gotta know I'm working and and I I get so disappointed in myself too because I try, I try and I know I mess up And, and I would say to you, stop that and turn in faith to Christ. Your only hope is in what Jesus Christ has done. Open your heart to him. Put your trust in him. He knows you're a sinner. Confess to him that you're a sinner, that you've rebelled against him, and you have no hope outside of him. And ask him to save you. Tell him you believe that what he did when he died on the cross was sufficient for the salvation of your own soul. And if you haven't done that, you can do that right where you are in in, in your seat. You can speak inside in your own mind to God and tell him that. And if you do that, would you come and tell me afterwards so that I can know and and I can encourage you as you begin this new journey of faith. And And then there's some of us who... Maybe it's, it was our upbringing. We never did well enough at home. We we always uh, was always we had to do more, and we felt like even maybe with our earthly fa- excuse me earthly father that we try and try and, and he's never approving of us. And, and there's some people in their Christian faith that are like that. They did just they want to please God, and they try and they try, but they feel they can never do it. I want you to hear the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11 when he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are burdened. I will give you rest. Come to me. You're striving and struggling, trying to be accepted of me. I love you. Just trust me. Uh, Come to me and find your acceptance with me. And love in me. Thirdly, live your life in gratitude and love for God For what he has done for you. Not to earn his favor, but as an expression of your joy um, and your love for him. You know, when when we were working in 1 John, you know, we we were told that uh, John says, you know, to obey his commands and they're not burdensome. He wants to be a joy to you. He doesn't want it to be drudgery. He doesn't want you to feel striving, God like me. I'm trying my hardest He wants you to relax and enjoy his love and the security that you have and to live your life in gratitude for him. Not to make him like you more, but to say, "I, I so love you. I so appreciate what you've done for me. And then lastly, don't lose the wonder of grace. None of us makes it by what we do. All of us are beggars. All of us can only receive it by grace. Grace is God's favor that we don't deserve. For by grace are you saved. By God's favor you're saved. Not of yourself. Not of works. It's a gift from God. All you could do is receive that gift with gratitude and say thank you. It's not a work, so you can't boast about what you did because you did nothing. All you could do is receive it. And and somehow I think we get so complacent. I mean, I've been, I've been a follower of Christ since I've been a little child. We should never lose the awe and wonder of what it means to be a child of God. We should be just blown away by that amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a, a wretch. You know, some people are trying to, you know, um, uh, tame that down a little bit. I saved a soul like me. No, it was a wretch. The guy who wrote it was a wretch. He knows that all of us before God are wretches. He saved a wretch like me. Have you have you have you gotten to the point where you you feel pretty good about yourself? Because you know you're really committed to Christ and you're going like you're on God's squad and doing all these things and and all of a sudden you you start and boast a little bit and feel pretty good about your accomplishment. And boy, God using me and I'm something special. You've lost the wonder of grace. You look at other people, and you look down your nose at them. You Pharisaical attitude. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not like that. I'm better than that. I know more. I live better than they do. And all of a sudden, we 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 forget. We're wretches. We're saved by grace, and that the worst of them are no better than we are. It's only God's grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll know, have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. In heaven, he, he, the song the songwriter got it. 10,000 years will pass and we will still be going, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe what he did for me. I can't believe I was so unworthy. And look what he did for me. Have you lost that? Have you lost the wonder and appreciation of the grace of God in your life? I, I hope not. Because God wants you to rejoice in him. He wants you to have joy and fullness and to celebrate him every day. Let, let, I'm going to call the, the, the uh, musicians to come. I just, I just pray that God would just touch your heart so deeply with what he's done for you and for me. that we go, I can't believe this. God, you are so incredible. You are so wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All I want to do is live my life to show my appreciation to you. That's grace. Father, thank you so much for your truth. Father, some of us may be struggling to find acceptance with you and and what we have to do to get there. Lord, would you help us to see Jesus Christ in all of his beauty and glory, giving his life for us, And may we turn our hearts to him in gratitude. May we stop striving and just enjoy what he's given to us and and live our lives as as pleasing to him. And don't let us forget the awe and the wonder of what you've done for us in Christ's name. Amen.